So hello and welcome back to the Institute of Refrigeration's Tip of the Iceberg podcast. And I'm joined today by John Skelton and Richard Parr. Both are members of the Institute of Refrigeration and have been really heavily involved in the work we're doing both on skills and on the Net Zero agenda. So we're going to kick straight off with giving a little bit of a background and ask them each to introduce themselves. So John, do you want to kick off? Yeah, my name's John Skelton. I work for Marks and Spencers and I'm technical manager looking after ME and R services. Been in the industry over 30 years now, started off as a refrigeration apprentice, had a fantastic apprenticeship with Sainsbury's, which I think gave me a really good standing for, for my career after that. So uh, really keen to see other individuals enjoy the industry as much as I do. But yeah, active member of the Institute and thoroughly enjoy it. Thanks, John. And Richard, do you want to say a few words? I'm Richard Parr, Engineering Director of Ryan Jayberg. Joined the industry by chance after graduating with a degree in, in innovation. Been in the industry for 17 years and um, I'm really sort of passionate on bringing through the next generation, having, having been a graduate myself. Thank you both. I mean, the reason we invited you both to come along was that we wanted to focus this uh, theme on this discussion all about skills and training. And as I said before, you've both been involved in the initiatives that the Institute's doing. And just for anybody who doesn't know too much about the Institute of Refrigeration, we are a voluntary organization and uh, people like John and Richard get involved in their own time. They're carving time out of really busy and highly responsible jobs to get involved in working on these issues for the Institute. So I guess, um, you know, my first question for you then is what gives you that drive to try to find the time to commit yourself to working on what can be quite a, a tricky issue of the whole thing about developing skills? And, and people and particularly with the view to the future. Richard, should we kick off with you this time? Yeah, so um, really for me, since having children, <laughs> I've really sort of felt that I want to give something back and being part of the Institute and giving up time to be involved with some of the working groups um, is a real fantastic way to do that. The skills development on net zero very, very much is on point with the, where we're heading as a business. We're having to evolve um, our individuals, upskill our individuals, and it's sort of something that we we all need to to be on board with, as as individuals ethically, as businesses moving forward, to be successful. So it it's very much a key part of my my role in the business and where where I want to drive the next generation of engineers that I've got within the business to be be passionate. And, and be all-encompassing, really. So you've got that shared personal and professional agenda then as far as skills go? Definitely, very much so, yeah. Yeah, great, thank you. And John? It, it, it's very similar, Miriam. You know, I, it, it's very selfish, I suppose, for me, both from a personal and business perspective. I would like the individuals in our industry to be the best they can be, and I'd like our industry to be more respected for what for what it does. And a key part of that is to allow individuals to develop and really make the most of of their careers. I've thoroughly enjoyed my career in the 
our HCHP industry and I'd like others to do the same from a from a professional perspective. The better the individuals are that come into our stores and into our depots and the quicker they can fix things, that's going to make a big difference to us as a, as a business. And we want people to come in and be safe and be able to fix things quickly. And I think the carbon net zero agenda, it's another dynamic to it as well, because it's, it's not just about fixing things. There's a bit around making sure things that are operating uh, correctly that, that systems are operating in harmony with other systems in buildings as well. So I think it's having a bit of a broader understanding of, of how systems work and how they interact with other systems. So you know, I, th- I think we, the industry has got a huge opportunity. You know, there's going to be a lot of change over the next few years. A lot of businesses are going to have to spend a lot of money to hit those targets. I see that as a great opportunity for, for our industry. But for us to capitalise on that, we're going to need to make sure that we've got suitably trained and skilled operatives working right through from the design the install commissioning and the maintenance of of those systems so just see it as a great opportunity reminds me a bit of stuff that has come up in the past when we are in meetings say with government talking about things like fgas regulations and and skills and and people talk about non-compliance and those who don't do the training or don't do the registration and my response on that one has always been well you know, I can't speak for those people. I speak for people who want to do the best job. People, our members, people like yourselves are really committed to not just getting a job done, but doing it well and committed to their industry. So it's really good to know that we've got people who want to see things improving, not just dealing with the day-to-day issues. So moving into that sort of net zero and beyond refrigeration, you know, one of the key areas that we've identified that needs to be addressed is developing the best people and skills in order to move together on that journey towards net zero. So I was going to ask both of you, can you tell us what you think that means, the best people and skills? I don't mind answering that one. I, I think it's, it's it's touching on what I was sort of saying on earlier, really. I think it's it's having engineers that are attending sites or getting involved with systems that really understand the implications of what they're doing to the system and how those systems interact with, with other systems. I don't think we can just work in isolation anymore. I think we have to have a better understanding of, of how systems work to, to make sure that they are you know, you can put in energy efficient and carbon neutral equipment, but if you don't run it well, it's still, you know, it's not going to give you the benefits you want. If you don't maintain it properly, if you're not specifying the right app kit for the right applications. And I think he's making sure that we've got suitably trained people to be able to make those decisions right through the process. I think that there's been a bit in the past where we've we've done some fantastic work in the refrigeration industry and air conditioning industry to move forward because I think we've always had those challenges ever since the sort of Montreal protocol to really put our house in order and and I think we've been been leaders in that in that field when you look at the carbon challenge that the world's got I think RACHP industry has, has risen to all those challenges on a regular basis but it's not just about the uh, you know the, the specification of the kit now it is the application it is the maintenance it is how it interacts with other systems in installations and systems bringing that all together and having people that can have and make those informed decisions it sounds as though you really have a vision of everything being connected you know you can't disconnect skills from innovation yes. from yeah. business strategies it, it all sort of links together so intricately and then uh, richard from your point of view very much uh, sort of something we talk about in the office quite frequently is getting people off the train tracks actually getting people to lay their own track that's sort of a a real big thing for us and I think if you can start 
getting engineers, whether that's design engineers, engineers on site who are out to that first reactive call, starting to sort of lay their own track and, and understand to lay their own track. It really assists in their knowledge, their skills, and ultimately their behavior. In the journey to net zero, we can't just keep doing what we've been doing. The industry has been fantastic at adopting change, but there's still a lot more change to be done. And as John touched on, you know, integration with other systems and other contractors is a massive part of that journey. I think really sort of the blinkers are off and getting getting people to understand that in the first instance is a sort of a, a key challenge. And then once you've broken down that hurdle, I kind of feel that people are a lot more embracing in terms of wanting to develop their skills, wanting to move forward and come on the journey with you. So can you say a bit more about this idea of laying your own tracks? Do you mean that they should really think more broadly about skills rather than you know, picking up one or two qualifications, but forward planning what they need to achieve the aims? Yeah, completely. So something I'm really trying to push with my graduates at the moment is what, what is your path? What is your track? Where, where do you want to go? You need to drive that forward. You bring your ideas for professional development to the table. You tell me, you contribute as much as us sort of top down, trying to push them in a certain direction. And um, I've sort of found that that really works really well because they're, they're buying in from day one and then they really want to up, upskill themselves. The bit that we're trying to do at the moment is to try and take what we've done in certain parts of our business and try and roll it out to other areas you know, in, in the service engineer field. And that's, that's a bit more of a challenge. We've started the journey, I think, is the best way to describe it. And do you think that's a typical approach? They always talk about the sector as being dominated by small employees. It might be a, a just one person or, or two people with an apprentice. Is that something that everyone can do? Yeah, I, I, I don't see why not. It's employee engagement. If your employees feel that they're basically driving the company forward through their own professional development and where they're developing their their career and their skills, it, it brings harmony and ultimately more of a motivated workforce. And, and what do you think, John, from your point of view, I'm not wanting to put you too much on the spot, but what could the customers do to help organisations to get a shared objective to, on, as far as skills and training go? Yeah, I, I think it's that's that is a really tough one, Miriam. And, and, and I know retailers have sort of helped on in certain situations with funding of of training normally when there's been sort of check step changes in technology i think it's just more trying to influence more than anything else at the moment so just really trying to it's interesting when i when i talk to most sort of managing directors over a cup of coffee the thing that normally comes through is that if we had the right skill sets and the right people the businesses would be more profitable you know, there is a correlation bet between the two and, and we've got to just drive that forward. Now, I know that it is a really challenging market out there and it's um, it, it's difficult for companies to find the funds for training. But I think the rewards you get out of it, you know, what Richard was touching on there is that employees that go through this path of growth and of personal development, it's far more re rewarding for them. And they give back more to the to the business. So I think is actually it's something that businesses should be looking at and going, you know, how do we keep our people engaged? How do how do we help them? And there's all this bit around, well, if we train somebody up, will they leave? But if as an industry, we all set our sights on training, if we all try and raise the levels, we will all benefit from it. I was sort of listening to Richard there, and you just you look at refrigeration really, if you've got the basics, you can move 
anywhere in the RACHP industry because mm -hmm. fundamentally the basics are, are the same. So if we've got the right skill sets and we're teaching the right criteria to start with, hopefully those skills will be transferable throughout our industry. So uh, I think all we can do is try and influence really, Miriam, the challenges certainly for, for us here at Marks & Spencers. We've got a big challenge with the commitments we're making around carbon net zero and we're we're going to need the best people to help us meet those challenges and, and to help us change a lot of equipment and help us spend a lot of money to, to get to where we need to be. You'd mentioned this idea of being the leaders in our field. And I wondered if there is leadership around skills that organisations are developing a joint agenda. Going back to Richard's train tracks, you know, do, are we all on the same track? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're trying to get there, Miriam. I think, you know, the, the work we've done on the Trailblazer, you know, that was a that was an industry led program. So that was an employer led program that was coming up with with skill sets that employers felt their engineers needed to have to go through the apprenticeship. So that was part of driving that agenda. I think as as an institute, we've pulled together a, a number of papers recently that are hoping to, to provide anyone in our industry or new to our industry with a bit of a clear understanding of what skills and training that they would need to progress. So I think we're starting to sort of drive that agenda. But I think it's, you know, listening to people like Richard, people that are passionate in the industry, it's those of this that are to try and get that passion going, get more people to be passionate about it and get people to understand that, you know, it's a great industry and actually that the better trained you are, the more you're going to get out of it. The point I'm trying to make is that at the moment, we need to come up with a way of how we sell the training that's provided to the end user so that the value can be get back from the, the contract. I think that was what I was kind of trying to get to is, is it the contractor's responsibility or the individual's responsibility to work out what skills they need? Or is it something we as an industry need to consider as an objective for everybody? You know, whose responsibility is it? I'm in a very fortunate position where I often speak and see students who are winning prizes as the best student. And there are often students that come forward and say, well, I really want to do training. My employer couldn't um, support me for whatever reason. So I did night school and I traveled or took my holidays and I did my training. So sometimes you see these incredible commitments of individuals. Then you see companies who put in place like whole scale training. So incredible commitments of one or two companies. And then, you know, I just wondered if there's a little bit of rather than it being everybody doing a bit, how we can pull that together. And as an industry feel that we're working on the same objectives to get to the same place. Yeah, I think we can give a steer to the industry, but I think it's got to be. I've always felt it needs to be an industry led initiative rather than a customer led initiative. I, th I think that's where it's most successful. You, you, you and I have worked with other companies in the past that have been part of trailblazer schemes and the sectors that have really made a success of it are the sectors that have got together and said, we need this for our industry. And they've used those employer led trailblazer schemes to come up with training and skills that the industry needs. And I think that's where we need to be is the industry needs to lead this. We need to get employers to say, these are the skills that we need for the various different tasks that are being carried out within our businesses and really push those agendas. Because I think that they'll get most out of their uh, employees if they do that and their employees will get the most out of the roles they're doing. You know, as John mentioned there, if employers and employees are, are training, I do believe your customers notice and, and end users notice it in, in principle should come back out as repeat business. Everyone, everyone wins and moves forward.
I can remember uh, somebody who's not um, involved in the industry before talking about the cost of not getting things right the first time when there's a cost for everybody at that case, it's not just the contractor or the end user or even the individual. You don't get it right first time. It costs everybody an awful lot of grief <laughs> and time and energy and money. So we know that that puts, puts us all in a, in a really difficult position. I was going to come back on something else you were talking about, behaviors. Nowadays, the, the training world works in, along the lines of knowledge, skills and behavior. So the underpinning theoretical knowledge, the skills, what you do and the behavior of, of how you do it. And I, I was going to ask a really awkward question about which is more important, more significant knowledge, skills or behaviors. And, and maybe I think I know what I think the answer is, but I'll give that one back to you guys. What do you think, Richard? Knowledge, skills or behaviors? Obviously a mix of all three, but if you had to choose. Yeah, yeah I, I would. As a manager, I'd go for behaviour in the first instance, because I think if if your team are, are doing the right things and behaving in the right way, then you're you're moving forward. Great if they've got the knowledge and the skills, and that's what you try and encourage. But I think probably what I've learned on this journey to net zero, not every individual has got all the knowledge and all the skills. And actually, what you're trying to build is a team that can tip all of those boxes as a collective. And if there's anyone out there that feels they've got all the skills, all the knowledge that can tick all the boxes for net zero, then please get them to send me their CV. At this moment, I, I, I don't feel that exists yet. And uh, it's, it's very much, okay, can you get a team together that can deliver on all of those things? And if you've got the behavior ticked in the first instance, then you've got half a chance. Behaviour is a very important part of it because I think depending on your behaviours is is how you then apply your skills and your knowledge. So I also think there's a bit around behaviours that can be driven by skills and knowledge. If you're uncomfortable in the arena you're in because you haven't got the skills or the knowledge, that can be reflected in the behaviour you have. And I think there's a big bit around empowering people with the right skills and knowledge to then allow them to demonstrate the behaviours they need to be able to sort of really move move things forward and you touched on it with the point about first time fixes there's lots of costs that come into not being able to achieve a first time fix but from an engineer's point of view there's nothing more frustrating than having to go back on a repeat call and if you know that that repeat call is because you didn't have the skills or knowledge to be able to fix it right in the first time that's going to affect your behaviors and everything else and I think there is a bit around this it's a win-win when you get the training right because you everybody wins through it and the engineer who's doing the work really wins because it's get they get the satisfaction that they deserve when they go out there and they do a good job so uh, yeah I'd echo Richard I think the behaviors is the one that will really sort of makes a makes the game changer for an individual but you need those underpinning skills and knowledge to make that work. And do you see this uh, requiring sort of changes in the way we, we do train, in the way we approach training? We did our very first podcast started talking about new ways of working. So should we be looking at new ways and being more flexible in our training? From my point of view, I think you've got to look at all the different technologies that are out there for providing training. And you've also got to look at what works for different individuals. You know, I think we'll all have uh, examples of people that we know that th flourish, uh, flourish in, in a um, exam environment and others that don't and then others that are if someone draws something with crayons for me it normally sinks in if it's a technical paper I find it a little bit harder to understand so I think you've got to tailor the training 
to the audience that is, is on the training. But I think it's, yeah, it is about using technology. It's about using um, what's out there. It's engaging with students, I think, and really finding out what works for them and what doesn't work and trying to make sure that our training is appropriate. I think we've all, through the last two years, done things very differently. And I think we've all found that you can use technology in different ways. And yeah, I think we definitely need to keep it fresh and keep looking at the opportunities for changing the way we train. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm, I'm dyslexic, so um, I'm good with drawings, I'm good with diagrams, but when it comes to reading, I struggle a little bit. So you have to approach the need of the individual and try and understand that individual. I think probably through COVID, like John's mentioned, the last couple of years, training feels like it's become a lot more accessible. You haven't just got to go to a training centre and disappear or go to a college. You know, there there are webinars online there's um, online training courses it does feel that we're in a new era when it comes to training that it, it's easier to move forward we're then moving into that sort of area of diversity as well which kind of links in with some of the work the institute does um, certainly we've worked with um, Steve Gill and on his diversity dyslexia events and this idea that you know you need to have neurodiversity different ways and different people in the teams in order for those teams to be more effective so whether that's having you know more female engineers or a mixed teams of different people at different levels and different people who work in different ways and that's all part of the way the whole engineering thing fits together is is from what i understand (laughs) the way things are going so in terms of the future of training so do you see that being very different the needs for training being very different to the basic engineering skills people say that anybody can be taught to use a spanner or to read a dial and and nowadays a lot of the calculations are online or they're provided with an app or a manual are the skills that are needed to help people achieve these net zero aims going to be any different to the skills that people currently have I think it's going to be very similar, Miriam. I think it, it, ultimately most tasks, if we're talking about tasks, mean that an engineer needs to go to site to fix something. So it's always going to be a hands-on element out there. I think it's, as Richard touched on there, I think what's going to, we're going to see very differently, and it's it's already already happening, is because of the accessibility of training. So, you know, if you, if you bring a new piece of uh, equipment into a, a situation, you can, if you want to, do a video of how to maintain it, how to fix it, typical faults, and have that readily accessible for, for an engineer when they turn up on site. So if an engineer walks in and it's a bit of kit they've seen for the first time, it's not that hard for them to be able to download a video off um, YouTube or and a, another streaming service and, and being able to get a bit of information on how to, how to fix it. And I think that's something that's going to become more and more uh, prevalent. There's, there's also... The use of technology so you know we're gathering huge amounts of data from systems and, and with the internet of things being able to do remote diagnostics or, or um, automated diagnostics all those things get, are going to help but I think uh, ultimately certainly from the days when I was on the tools actually being able to put your hands on things and feel the temperature of pipes and and, and listening to the way that systems are operating there's still going to be those things that are always going to come into it as well to uh, to assist an engineer but I still come back to it if if you've got the basic principles and you understand the basic principles 
you can apply them to any of the situations. It's just there's different complexities to different uh, systems. But yeah, I think I think we're going into a, a new world, and it's yeah, it's uh, with the the amount of information that can be googled and accessible from mobile devices. I think it's going to be exactly what the engineers need, and and hopefully that will complement what we're doing from a net zero perspective. And then, Richard, you know, what do you think? Is the more complex technology, is that going to mean more skills or is it going to be less skills because, you know, you just connect a computer to it? I think with sort of the direction that we're going, especially um, with lower GWP refrigerants and A2Ls and A3s, hydrocarbons, there's more knowledge or more skills that's required to understand certainly some of the hazards associated to the direction we're moving in. So I think how people diagnose issues and how they solve the problem might be slightly different in terms of you know yeah okay (laughs) rather than read the method statement that we've all had you know actually that method statement can be posted on youtube or physically sort of seen in a video so i think i think that that element will change but in terms of the base knowledge and skills of individuals actually i think there's more more to learn and more to understand as we move forward and John, would you agree with that? We've discussed it before, Miriam. There, you know, there's a lot of te- technologies that are coming into the marketplace and, and technologies that we're selling as industry, but they've got to be set up and commissioned correctly because if they're not, they're not going to do what they're supposed to do. So you know, we need to make sure that people have the right skills. Again, I think there is a bit around how those pieces of equipment integrate with other systems in, in buildings as well, which is, I think is very going to come even more more important to us as as time goes on but uh, yeah I think it's uh, it's a time where we should be up in the skill levels rather than than lower there so is the um the RAC engineer of the future is that going to be a, a heat heating engineer as well as an air conditioning engineer or do you never the twain shall meet we've got to do more with the waste heat from refrigeration systems so we've got to do more with it how we actually do that and what we do it's got to be something that can be maintained and can be serviceable going forward and we're going to need the right people to be able to do the whole thing i think in the in the past where there's been challenges around where systems have been combined it's because we probably haven't had the right skill sets for both elements so yeah i think we are going to have to have engineers that understand heat reclaim engineers that understand heat pumps so there will be a heating element to as, as you know the heating element is going to be as important as the cooling element in some uh, situation so it's having that broad understanding and and that holistic uh, understanding of a a building is that what uh, you're seeing as well Richard that as well as getting the the basics on the apprenticeship you've got to get more and more complex more and more higher skills for these new technologies yeah I'll be honest I sort of almost feel we're we're no longer just simply refrigeration designers a, a lot of what we're working on and that we're seeing from from our customers at the moment whether that's retail or industrial is the integration i don't think we've got a scheme going through our books at the moment that doesn't include heat reclaim and you know thermal modeling of both refrigeration systems and the building is almost a kind of a a request that we're getting together now so it's a, a single kind of specialist rather than than two separate specialists not talking to each other it's very much filtering through as as customers and end users start moving and gearing up their plans to uh, become net zero yeah so net zero is already happening in terms of the new projects that are coming on and the refurb projects where they're starting to look 
more broadly on, on the whole, both heating and cooling demands. Integrated heating and cooling was one of the foundations of the Beyond Refrigeration. Yeah, well, it, yeah, completely. And obviously a lot, a lot of people have made big commitments or businesses have made big commitments for 2030, 2035. So, you know, those systems that we're designing now, installing, are, are still going to be in operation in 2035. So it is literally happening and it's, it's not maybe filtering all the way through everywhere, but, you know, there, there certainly is this integration of refrigeration, heating and cooling happening. So the demand for higher skilled staff is only ever going to increase yeah. from what you're saying. Uh, uh, yeah. How well do we think the industry then is prepared? Because I hear a lot of concern from employers saying that there are some engineers who are really struggling, even with what they're doing at the moment. Um, and others, you know, obviously investing in, in training. I, I speak to a lot of trainers who are seeing that the, some of the best uh, trainees coming out from the training programs as well. So you know, are we where we want to be or are we at least again on track? I, I think we're slightly behind the curve. I think, you know, we, we've we've done work as the Institute in the past, which wasn't really a surprise, but we've got an ageing demographic. We've got some shortfalls coming up, I think, in the industry, and we, we need to fill those. So I think we're slightly behind. I think there's a will there. I think the fact that there is this great opportunity with all the work that needs to be done to hit the carbon net zero targets must be a, a real incentive for, for businesses to make sure that the engineers are suitably trained. So, yeah, I think uh, we, we're behind the uh, curve Miriam but I think there's a, a will to get to the right place uh, I think there's also a balancing act in there and it's something that we've discussed on our education and training committee uh, meetings is that we don't necessarily have to have everyone in the industry to be at the same level of training it's making sure that the individuals are appropriately trained for the task they're carrying out I think there is the the bit I keep harping back on to the fundamentals should be the starting point I think uh, it, it's making sure we've got suitable training for each of the different areas within the industry but certainly yeah to make the most of what's coming and is ahead of us I think uh, we need to we need to keep moving this at pace did you want to add anything, Richard? No, no, I, yeah, I feel the wheels are moving, but maybe not quite quick enough at the moment. It feels like we're, we're going in the right direction. And um, I think if the, the work that the Institute's doing and um, its members, yeah, if, if we can keep, keep, keep pushing that work in, then um, it's going to be a, a good outcome overall. So if either of you want to say, you know, if you had a magic wand, what would be the ideal solution as far as skills and training goes? What would you like to see changing over the next five or 10 years? Okay. Okay. Um, so what would I like to see changing over the next five or 10 years? I'd certainly like from an institute point of view for us to, to see the uh, institute being able to en register engineers with the engineering council, because I think that would be a big step forward. It would be nice as well, you know, personally, from my point of view, if, if there was a, a minimum standard for engineers, I do look at some other disciplines out there and there seems to be you need to be gas safe or you need to have your electrical qualifications and if there was something in refrigeration that was similar so some sort of professional qualification I think that would be fantastic so don't know whether we'll ever actually be able to achieve that. So sort of concur with John um, actively encouraging people to become chartered engineers would be fantastic and achieving a minimum standard it does feel that a lot of people fall into the world of refrigeration rather than actually have an intended career path or ambition you know I think maybe we've got to start younger in terms of career advisors in schools it's a, an accepted career path and a respected career path and and maybe you know the fact that everyone might have a heat pump in their house one day that might open doors for that to happen 
we've got to stop thinking of refrigeration as being a fridge in the corner and start thinking about it as what it's really contributing. We sometimes go under the radar. If we can keep kind of pushing what we do as an industry into the limelight, I think over the next sort of five, 10 years, the other elements will follow. I hear that there's a child's coloring book or, or storybook on the offing that's coming out of America about refrigeration, but it's a difficult one to make a real impact in. What would you recommend for anybody who's listening and to address the skills challenges? I'd, I'd encourage people to sign up to the STEM program. That's something we've been supporting as, a, as an institute. And I think that's a great way of tapping into the younger generation, as Richard alluded to, getting out into schools and telling students what a great career you can have in the RACHP industry and, and really giving them real life examples of it you know refrigeration in it all its shapes or forms touches all of our lives on a on a daily basis as Richard said it's often forgotten I think by the the public how much their life is influenced by refrigerations you know and the, the food they eat the comfort when they're at home at work the medicines they take the list is endless of where refrigeration helps everybody on a sort of day-to-day basis but getting out I think and talking to schools and talking to students and giving them an understanding of what an interesting industry it is to be in. And, and it's something that people will find very rewarding as well. So I'd encourage anybody to get involved. Sounds good. I'll, in the description, I'll put some links to the STEM ambassador program so people can see how you can get involved and the resources the Institute's got there to support anyone who wants to, to get out and, and start talking to schools about career opportunities and, and science. Um, yeah, I think in terms of skills, embrace and listen to, to ideas, both sort of from, from the people working from you and, and from what others are doing and try and take those ideas and turn them into uh, a new train track for your business and your individuals. That's really good to hear that this whole idea of net zero is really, from what you're saying, is presenting opportunities for our industry, opportunities to get ourselves better known, opportunities to improve training and, and get those technologies working and, and much more broadly, ever expanding skill sets for, for refrigeration and yeah. air conditioning engineers so that their job becomes more and more important and more and more interesting, presumably, as well. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for chatting to us about education and training. It never goes away. It's always there. So I'm sure we'll be, uh, we'll be continuing on this theme as we go forward. And thanks again for taking part. And thanks to everybody for joining us. iceberg from the institute of refrigeration and i'm miriam rodway we hope you're enjoying our podcasts please like and share and follow the podcast and join us on the next edition thank you